Welcome to the Mind Sensei Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and I'll be taking you on a journey to the world of martial arts and introduce listeners to some of the most aspiring and knowledgeable practitioners from around the world. Whether you're a seasoned martial artist or a curious beginner, or just enjoy hearing a great story, the Mind Sensei Podcast Down Under has something for everyone. So tune in, sit back, and let us take you on a journey through the world in martial arts. Greetings, esteemed listeners, and welcome to another captivating installment of the Mind Sensei podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and today we are honoured to be in the presence of a true martial arts legend. In this exclusive two-part interview, we continue our deep dive into the extraordinary journey of Master Doreen DiRienzo. Our guest today is nothing short of an icon in the martial arts world, a figure whose story is so vast and profound that we've dedicated not one but two episodes to do it justice. In part one of this captivating narrative, we introduced you to a martial arts luminary who embarked on the remarkable journey back in April of 1973. For those humble beginnings, she not only has achieved the esteemed rank of 10th degree black belt in Ed Parker's American Kempo Karate, but has also broken the barriers as one of the very first female 10th degree senior masters. Our guest journey is deeply intertwined into the history of Kempo. Having been a personal student of Senior Grandmaster Edmund Parker until his passing in 1990. Today she continues to inspire as a dedicated student of Grandmaster Gilbert Velez. Master DiRienzo, as one of the co founders of Kempo International, has indelibly marked the martial arts landscape. Her teaching has transcended borders with seminars and workshops conducted across Europe, Canada, Mexico, and Chile. But her story extends beyond the dojo, driven by a commitment to education. She has earned a bachelor's degree in physical education from Northeast University. When teaching opportunities provided elusive, she took the matters in her own hands and founded the Revere Karate Academy, impacting the lives of over 35,000 students. In part one of our conversation with senior master Doreen DiRienzo, we explored her formative years, her extraordinary journey throughout the martial arts world, and her role as a pioneer and advocate for women in the martial arts. So dear listeners, fasten your seatbelts, prepare to be inspired, because this is just the beginning of an epic saga of martial arts mastery, and the indomitable spirit of an extraordinary individual. Welcome to the second part of our conversation with remarkable senior master Doreen DiRienzo on the Mind Sensei podcast. So you're currently residing in Revere. Is that for the uneducated? We're about a four-hour car ride from New York, and I'm about a two-minute ride from Boston, where I live. Right, okay, okay. I can tell you're from Boston. Like, I probably sound like I have an accent to you. You definitely have yeah. the Boston accent. <laughs> yeah. It, when I would call Mr. Parker, I'd say, hi, Mr. Parker. He goes, hi, Doreen. i go, how'd you know it was me? He goes, because of how you said my name. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Do you have any special stories or moments, uh, memorable moments with Mr. Parker you can share with us? I used to love have a dinner with him because he would, he'd look at you and go, <laughs> you're done? And I I could be starving and I'd say, yes, sir. And he would like 
I'm using a pen. He'd like reach over and take his fork and take your food right out of the, the dish. And, you know, that was always funny. It's funny you say that know. because Ed, Edmund, who I interviewed, he said, his father said, everyone calls it eating, he calls it a vocation. One of Lelliot's stories, he's talk, we talk about funny stories like you. He said he, he always enjoyed his meals and you'd be eating and he would lean over and go, what you eating? <laughs> what you got? <laughs> well, so I, you know, just you done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For me, like I had moments with him that I would talk to him about life. And I remember one time he, he when he was traveling, needed a clean shirt. So I did laundry for him and we sat in my kitchen and I ironed his shirt and we just talked about the world. And like, those were my kind of my favorite moments with, with him, you know, like that. But when I met him and he knew I was pregnant, the next time he came and I had had Joseph, my youngest boy, he said, aren't you going to take me to your house to meet your son? And he picked him up and I remember him holding him. And he goes, look at the size of it. My son Joseph's got big hands. He goes, look at the size of his hands. You have to teach him how to fight. He loved kids. <laughs> I remember this This was a cute story, too, was the first time I went out to study, he had Jeff Speakman pick me up at the airport and bring him to his house. And I got to stay there. I stayed with him and Mrs. Parker at, at his house in Pasadena. And she wasn't home when I got there, and he was busy doing something. So I sat out in the patio, which was a beautiful patio, like all flowers all over the place. And when she came home, you know, he introduced me to her, and I said, Oh, Mrs. Parker, I said, I really love your flowers and your garden. It's so pretty. And she kind of took a liking to that, and we sat and talked and talked until like one in the morning. But anyway, when we got in the car when Mr. Parker and I got in the car to go to the Pasadena studio. He leaned over and he goes, she likes you. She really likes you. I'm so happy that she likes you. I just wanted her to know you the way I know you. And that really meant a lot to me. You know, like yeah. I got to meet his family, you know, like, and, and here I am thinking he did this with everybody, but I, I guess he really was a little bit selective of who he exposed his family to on, on that level. But I, you know, which I don't blame him, but it was quite an honor to have him extend that courtesy to me that I could stay at the house and go to Pasadena. Then Barbara Hale came and picked me up and I trained with her. So he really opened up the gate and took you under his wing. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your training. Also, you said you went into California and you trained with some of the other seniors there or practitioners. Can you tell us a little bit? Have you any stories about? other people that you've trained with or memorable moments you've had there? I did most of my training with Barbara Hale at that point in time, right? And But I had a chance to like meet up with Mr. Treo. I wanted to go in and just talk to him because when Mr. Parker saw me fight the first time, he said, you fight just like a female Frank Treo. I had never met Mr. Treo and I didn't know who he was and I didn't realize what an amazing compliment that was. So I wanted to meet him. And I went out there and I met him at the Pasadena studio. I had no idea how I was going to make it back to West LA that night, but I figured I'd figure it out anyway. I went in and he said, how's your training going? I said, oh, it's going really good. And he says, how's it going? I said, it's going good. You know, it was just, and he said, 
So what stands out most to you is, well, I realize that whatever you can do with your hands, you can do with your feet. And he looked at me and he turned around. He went like this. He went, brings out, you know, a magazine article. And he said, that's exactly what I said in this magazine article when somebody asked me about Kempo. So we kind of bonded over that, you know. And nice. and that was and Mr. Treo? Mr. Treo, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, and we talked a little bit about fighting. And he said, I could tell you could fight the first time I saw you. I said, how could you tell? Just the way you walk, I could tell that you could fight. And it's kind of a funny thing. You can. You can, like, nice, look at nice. somebody and yeah. you can really you get a sense of if they're more art or martial. I think he liked that about me. And my son, Anthony... <laughs> A lot of people say he moves a lot like Treo. You know, a lot of people have said that to me. Nice. Um, and um, when he met Mr. Treo the first time, he said, Mr. Mr. Treo, he said, in order to meet you, sir, a lot of people tell me that I fight like you. And Frank says, well, I don't know about that, but you sure look like me. And I went. That's definitely Mr. Yeah. Treo. I was lucky enough to meet him before he passed away. So it was good. Yeah. And then I've had the chance to, like, another person that I trained with a little, you know, for a little while was Huck Planis. Did some training with him. And he's like a walking encyclopedia. And I always yes. love listening to whatever he has to say. Let me just say this, that I will get on the mat with anybody as long as I have strength in my legs and breath in my lungs, I just went to a training. Larry Tatum was here. I went to a training and I, I worked, worked out in his class. Recently went to, he's very ill now, but I had another opportunity. I had trained with Grandmaster Palanzo. Yeah. Tomorrow I was going to go and train with Master Sullivan, but I, I just, I'm just not, you know, have a little issue going on with one of my eyes. So I'm, I want to not... Yeah. risk getting hit yeah. or knocked over so i said nope i'm yeah. too old to put myself in front of any teacher and i don't yes. care if you know if i outrank them that doesn't mean i can't learn from them correct so. yeah i think i've learned my experience i've learned my best lessons from a white belt they're on the mat and you're teaching something and they do something completely left field and you go one moment i run down to my little notebook and start making notes you know you know um <laughs> Are you familiar with the technique taming the mace? Yes, yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah. so you know you slip the punch, you come up, and yeah. your left foot crosses back. Well, in the middle of the test, the kid crossed back with his right foot, and when he turned, he said the kid face first into yeah. the wall, and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I did it wrong, and I'm going, that was beautiful. Yeah. But yes, just yesterday, this little boy, I was teaching them obscure wing, and I said, does anyone know what the word obscure means? And, oh, well, it's it's hard to see. Right. I said, that's exactly right. It's hard to see it coming. It's hard to picture it. So kid says to me, basically, that you don't see it till you feel it. Wrote that, that one down. That yeah. was, you know, <laughs> terrible. Yeah. And this little kid said, I, was, I said to him, I'm going to steal that, but it's, I won't claim authorship anyway. You know what? what's funny? You talk about taming the mace. My journey was we came through five systems of Kempo, so I had to go back to the – and I insisted going back to the beginning and learning it all. But what it meant was I had a lot of tools in my toolbox. So you talk about taming the mace. When, when I teach that version, I teach throwing the body to the back, throwing the body to the front as a standard. Right. I, you know, yeah. It's Legos. You yes, get to mix correct, them up. Correct, correct. So it's, it's funny you mention that because that's <laughs> – 
it's one of the things we do as well is we've got the two versions we teach a traditional version and we say now have a look at this version because if you can't go that way you can go we do the what if i suppose is what you know exactly yeah, yeah. it's funny how you're halfway around the world we've never met but we're still connected over campo what are your thoughts on cross training now there's a you know the prevalence of ground fighting a lot of people are getting into that do you incorporate any or do you teach do you put an emphasis on more tackle techniques now no i believe in cross training in fact uh, a lot of my guys train in stick fighting muay thai grappling they mix it up and i think that's amazing i have a student in brazil magnificent kempoist and he studies grappling and i said to him when he went for his fifth degree the one, when our students go for fifth degree and higher, they have to do a creative thesis, not just like their journey. They have to take something that, example, one of my guys who was a pastor, his was in search of spirituality in Kenpo. Another guy that's into meditation, he did his thesis on meditation and how you can incorporate that in his smallest way. And, you know, just really, you know, really good thesis. Um, one of the girls... She's a nurse, so she said, this is how you break this bone. And, it, it, you know, so they, they kind of build off. So this this guy, I said to him, and he speaks Portuguese, and I go, tempo, grappling. And I went like this to him. And he goes, oh. So I, he, his whole thesis was blending the tempo technique and taking it to the floor. It was yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Just yeah, a no. great thing. I think the Kempo to me, it's like, it's almost like a Monet, you know, in a way painting where you can see something, but everyone sees a little something different. And that's what makes it beautiful because then you give the opportunity to students to share those thoughts and everybody gets better. Everybody gets better because of it. So. Yeah, definitely. I keep saying to my students, I don't, when I had a school, yeah, I kept saying, go out. Look at other arts. If you find something better than what we're doing, come back and get me. Don't leave me here. Right. I, even Mr. Parker used to say that, you know, to look at other arts and cross-train and you'd be surprised. But the one thing that Kempo does that I think is is amazing is the the efficiency of the way the body moves. The yeah. kinesiologically, anatomically correct body positions and the framing. Yeah. And and the structure of what we do is... And probably the terminology right. is probably more so because it relates to any art, not just our art. Well, know. right. And But standing in a horse stance when you're mechanically lined up is correct in any art. Conversations I've had with Ed Parker Jr. where he said his father wished that he called it practical, logical thinking at times because that's pretty much what it is. Because we could... What I found with Kemper was they can walk into other styles and start using Kempo terminology to explain exactly what they're doing and how they align themselves and how they generate their power. But it doesn't go the other way. They have, I don't, a lot of styles don't have the terminology to do the same thing. So it makes us a bit unique, which is, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I've been doing it for 30 something years now and I'm still not bored. I'm just learning every day. Every day. Every day. So have you traveled at all? for Kempo out of America or has it just been within America and do you have any stories from your travels at all? I've been to, I'm trying to think, but Canada, Mexico, Chile to teach. 
I've also been to the Channel Islands, you know, Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Where Graham is from. Yeah. And I've been that's where I first met him, by the way. I've taught in the UK, I've taught in Ireland, I've taught in Portugal, I've taught in Belgium, I've taught in Italy, I've taught in Greece, the Netherlands. So I've had quite an opportunity to teach a lot of different places. Every place I go, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, it, there's, there's so many beautiful things to see. And I started taking my students with me when we have these international championships, because I said, you can go to a tournament and look at the same people every week, or you can go to one great place and, and meet up with a lot of different nice people. And, and you speak in the same language, even though you're not moving the same, talking the same, you're moving the same language. I think my favorite time, my, I guess my favorite story about my travels is one of them was when I was asked to teach a seminar, a group of children in Greece, and they didn't give me an interpreter. <laughs> and I'm Greek, so I know this is going. Right? <laughs> and I, I taught the entire seminar without talking. And I would look at the kids and I'd go, and I'd clap so they'd look at me. And then I'd say, you know, you look, watch. No. And I'd go, huh. And I and I taught the whole seminar, and the parents were up on this balcony watching me, cracking up. I looked like a comedy show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I taught for one hour without talking. Reminded me of something Mr. Parker said. Kempo was a second language. It was another language, and it really truly is, you know, because they understood what I was doing. Yeah. And then I think one of my proudest moments of teaching was. The first time I went to Madrid, they Spain when I was listening, you know, the first time I went to Madrid, I walked on the mat and they introduced all the visiting instructors from the U.S. except for me. I was the only female and I knew where I was. And, you know, women sit over there and the men are out there training. And here I am, the only woman, and they didn't introduce me. So it got time to start the class and I went and lined up in the front and I lined up to my dear friend, Jose Enrique, who was now my dear friend, but I did not at the time. And he, he had to give me, do the, the technique on me. And he treated me like I was a porcelain doll. And then when it was my turn, I just went and I cracked it, you know, and he looked at me and he goes, I said, like that, you do that to me. So we went back and forth, bam, 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 bam. By the end of the seminar, I had made a friend and I earned their respect, not because I said, hey, I'm a six degree. I outrank every, I outranked everyone in the room and they didn't introduce me. And then after that, they invited me to come back by myself to teach them. 60, you know, like 60, 70 guys. And here I am teaching them how to fight. They introduced you though pretty, this time, right? Right, yeah, but it was yeah. like I broke not only a language barrier but a gender barrier. Yeah, nice. You nice. know, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful trip, and I was, I was very proud of that moment. You know, that was, that was like in the early nineties. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so. So even in the nineties, though, that's it's not that long ago, you know, like that. No. That's but, um, but it's still. There weren't a lot of, you know, there weren't a lot yeah, of yeah. high-ranking women then. 
a six-degree woman was like absolutely unheard of. Yeah, but see, when you come, I don't know, maybe I've got a different mentality. When you came from Kempo, a Kempo black belt in this country was like, you what, a Kempo black belt? Can I come and sleep at your house? <laughs> kind of thing. And, you know, what can you show me? And, you know, so if you have a six degree, that's back in the day, that was unheard of over here. Yeah. So, and anyone who knows anything about any of the martial arts, when you have a high ranking student or student or instructor or black belt, I should say, yeah, that's just not given lightly. So maybe I'll just think a little bit differently than everyone else. Okay. So you've traveled extensively then. Do you still travel now or you? Well, this year I did a lot of traveling at the beginning of the year and then I've kind of put it on pause because I'm getting ready for this big event. But yeah. then I'll be going to Dublin. I'll be going to Dublin at the end of this year and then Belgium at the beginning of next year. So, so far. Is there someone um, you John Ward. Okay. John Ward. He's okay. one of my students and okay. he has a, a big worldwide organization and he's hosting the Kempo International Training Camp. Tell us a little bit about your school, or do you have an organization? In 2015, Grandmaster Velez, Master Norman Samler, and myself formed Kempo International. And we did that because we have students that we service all over the world. Right now, we're in about 30 different countries and four continents. We have members from all over. And, and what we do is we hold an international, two international events a year. We're, we're looking to expand that. We have a tournament where we conduct seminars and gradings and obviously karate championship. And then we celebrate with a big banquet at the end. And then once a year, we have an international training camp. We want to try to now expand because we have more and more members. We want to be able to service them, training yeah. and grading. How do people find you guys if they want to join your organization or talk? We're on Facebook and we're on our website, www.kempointernational.com. All the information to become a member is right there. Most people, unless you're certified by our organization directly, then you would be an allied member like that. Uh, some people are charter members, which are, are appointed, you know, because of their experience, time and grade. Like Rich Hale has invited him to be a charter member of Kempo International and Paul Dye, and Patty Dye, you know, like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I love the Dyes. The best. They're good people. Love those guys. Yeah. yeah. That's your organization, and do you have a patch at all? Do you have a, did I have a, yeah, a patch this, for that? And... This, yeah, this is our uh, emblem. This is Kempo International. We kept the spirit of the tiger and the dragon, an open circle, meaning there's always more to go, the world, because we service the world, and this is an eagle in flight, always striving for more. Is that a shield? It's, yeah. it's a shield. And do the colors have any meaning at all, Mr. Parker? Yeah, they're very similar. The red is the dragon's red for wisdom, and the yellow is beginner. Black and white, obviously the same. White being beginning, black is expert, and the red represents wisdom. Nice. How many black belts would you have under your lineage? The only tree. It's pretty big. How many um, would you say roughly you have? Well over 100. There's probably yes. about 200 on the tree because of students that I've taught and students that they've taught. 
Yeah. My favorite is one woman from the Maryland area. There's me, then John Ward, then Liam Brady, then Herman Structor, and so it's five deep generations. And I'm about to update it now in honor of my 50 years in training. So there's probably going to be two to 300 names on it. Me personally, directly promoted well over probably about 150 black belts through the years and keep growing, obviously. I was just talking to AC Rainey about this last night. I said, I've got, I think I've got 17 on my family tree, but I think I've, seven of those are female. And my my first black belt and one of my best is female. The ladies have a lot more finesse than the men. They got to make it work because they don't have the size and strength to skate well, their way through, I suppose. You can't bully your way through a technique. Like my son, Anthony, could go like that. He's, yeah. he's a pretty big kid. My son, Joseph, the same thing. And they can get away with because they got so much mass. You know, they don't have to use torque. Although when they do, really want to run the other yeah, way. Correct. That'll only get you so far too, though, in the system. Yeah. It's a sort of a. It's a little bit counterproductive for us. Like I'm a pretty big guy. I came in. I actually came in from bodybuilding. My story is pretty interesting. I was did bodybuilding for 14 years. I was I was huge. I had like 22 inch arm, cannonball for shoulders, and I thought I'll try. I'm sick of this now. I'll try. This Kempo, what's this Kempo? I'll try this Kempo thing out anyway. First class I went to, I was pretty much pretty much crying on the way home. I'm like, it's <laughs> interesting what you just said because for me, I got into bodybuilding a few years back. I did it a couple of years. I did a few shows actually, and my trainer he ended up passing away from brain cancer. He was so excited from taking someone from one sport that excelled in one sport and being able to help you to excel in another sport. But it was quite a journey going yeah. through that. It really did something to me. And it's like I said, I immersed myself in that process and it really helped me to go through some things, work through some things. So I really enjoyed bodybuilding. I did. Yeah. I loved it. I wished I had started it when I was younger. I think I would have really been good at it, but I was in my, you know, my 50s when I was yeah, 60s, yeah. you know. So, anyway. That's weird. We start, <laughs> this is just weird, right? You're halfway yeah. around a planet. You started in Kempo first and then bodybuilding. I started in bodybuilding yeah. first and then Kempo. Yeah. We're sort of like a yin yeah. and yang, really, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But there was something beautiful and artistic about it that really appealed to me. You see... When you talk about talked about the principles of Kempo and the art and this and that, I'm going to just say to you that I can tell you this from my own life is that the best things that training and martial arts teach you don't involve kicking and punching. Correct. There's a beautiful feeling of energy that goes through your body when you are working in alignment. There's a, an energy flow that goes yeah. through your body that's just incredible. And that's why you line up perfectly. That's why you want everything, you know, in time and sync and rhythm. Because that beautiful feeling that you get, that's what we can still keep going. At. I'm 67 now. That's why I can still keep doing it because of that feeling that I get when I do it. And what it does for me mentally, what it does for my body physically, what it does for my heart spiritually. Yeah. It's really doesn't, it's so funny because people, you know, had quite a reputation in the city as a fighter, you know, oh, you're still fighting? I go, yeah, every morning to get up. But anyhow, so that that's it. There's a beautiful feeling that you get when everything works in harmony. It's yes. not just directional harmony, it's, it's emotional harmony, it's spiritual harmony, it's not just the physical part. Sure. 
With Mr. Parker passing and not having a successor, what do you vision for the future of your lineage or your organization? Well, our goal, in fact, you know, we have a mission statement, was that we wanted to create standardized education and standardized criterion for advancement so that people weren't just showing up going, oh, I got to do this. So like if I give a test, which I've done in New York, I should go to Dublin and give the same test that this is the same criterion. Oh, I like him. He gets promoted. Oh, he's an idiot. He shouldn't get promoted. You know, there's a requirement that has to be met. There's a standard. And that was what we were envisioning because when we first started going different places, it was like people would show up, oh, we want to grade. And you'd be like, but you don't know the sidewalk, yeah. you know, or, you know. So we, that was our mission to host these two events every year so that people would have an opportunity to meet us and work with them. And so that's really what we, why we started is so that we would have this international standard yeah. for advancement and for education. So in terms of the Kempo International, is there plans to take other senior ranks now to fill the shoes? You mean or, like the people like, coming up? Correct, yeah. You, like, you decide you want to retire or... Sure. Uh, I mean, for me, one of my things is I'm always teaching to teach. I'm always teaching to teach. If I have one of my guys, I'll go, okay, I'll take them with me. I'll go, you're going to teach this part of the seminar so they get the exposure. Or you're going to be the leader of this particular portion of the event that way they get used to being out in the forefront because i've hosted three international events here in boston and i said to my son and to my one of my black belts uh sita van i said you guys are hosting the next one i just want to be the invited guest use me as a resource i said but you guys do it john ward is doing that with one of his senior guys he's going to run the internationals in dublin in a few years Liam Brady, he's going to take over for John, although John's going to be there to consult with and be part of the organization of it. My students in Belgium are running the training camp there. We're not going to be here forever. Yeah, nice. Have you met any famous people in your journey during your training? (laughs) I was with Barbara Hale, and we went to have iced tea at the Beverly Hills Hotel one day when I was out there, and we bumped into Steven Seagal. And she walked up to him and said, Mr. Seagull, so wonderful to meet you. We're students of Ed Parker. He was just talking about you today. And he turned and looked and said, well, what did he say? And Barbara looked at me and says, I can't remember. Doreen, what did he say? And I went, oh, he was so impressed with your technique in the movies. It was thought it was impressive to watch. But see, saying that didn't mean that he liked it. It wasn't lying. Do you have any funny or weird stories that you can share at all? As instructors, you do get some weirdos coming. In 2019, when we went to the international championships in Chile, we got caught in a civil unrest and there was rioting in front of our hotel and we were quarantined to the hotel. We couldn't leave. And right in front of us, they were throwing tear gas and they were ripping things, burning things. It was the most incredible sight to see. And everybody started calling me, you because they knew where we were. They're like, are you yeah, all right? Yeah, I remember yeah. John Ward called me because he was hosting the IKC in 2020. And he goes, I don't know how I'm going to top that, Doreen. I said, I go, please don't try. You know, and what do you think <laughs> happened the following year? The pandemic. So we had to cancel Dublin. And we ended up doing a virtual event. But anyway, I had to get home. 
And so here's myself and my husband, Roger, and Miss Diane Tanaka. We had to get home. And we had just met this guy, Frank, was a very nice man, one of Jose Navarrete's black belts. And he said, I can drive you to halfway and my friend will pick you up and drive you to Santiago to get on the airplane. Four hours. It's a four-hour ride from Concepcion to, I said, now we both looked at each other going, well, we teach self-defense, right? We're going to get in a car with someone we barely know who's going to drop us up to someone that we don't even know who's going to drive us all the way to the airport. It was like something they escaped. It was really quite a quite an event, quite a sequence of events to get home. But it was really, and everybody had such a hard time getting out of Concepcion, Chile that year. That was a crazy, crazy thing. I don't, that really stood out like of, of all the tournaments we've been to. I mean, we've been to some really beautiful places. We've been to Greece. We've had a great time there. We went to the Acropolis. That was an amazing thing yeah. to see. You know, you're in the middle of history. Yeah. Or, you know, when you go to Madrid and you're standing in the Plaza de Mioa, or I saw a bullfight for the first time, you know. Okay, yeah. It, it was, you know, there's been some really incredible experiences with all the travels, so. Who was your host in Greece, just out of interest? John Nicolau. And then the second time. Tell us how has martial arts impacted your physical and mental well-being, not just inside the dojo, I suppose outside as well, yeah. and It's kept me sane. It's kept me focused. You had asked me to tell a story earlier, like one of my fondest memories of Mr. Park. I said, I didn't want to tell you, but I remember the time in my life when I was at the worst possible feeling and, you know, I didn't want to go on and the world was awful and I was feeling so, you know, defeated. And I, my boys woke up and they, came in my room and they said, I love you, mama. And they went back to sleep. And I was like, oh my God, God's listening, you know. Then the next morning when I went to my karate studio, I walked in to pick up my mail because we were closed that day. And the phone rang just as I walked in the door and it was Mr. Parker. And he said, Doreen, are you okay? I just felt you weren't okay. And I, I started to cry, and I told him about what had happened with my boys. He said, God was listening, Doreen. God was watching over you. I said, yeah, Mr. Parker, and now you called me. It made me realize that my family it needs me, and my aunt will never let me down. He goes, it never will. Never will. That was pretty special. I nice. mean, he had so many people that looked at him as a father figure or a, a mentor or a teacher or, and he made everybody feel special. And sometimes there are people out there that act like they were the chosen one or the only one. I was just very grateful. I was on the list of people that he did care about. I don't feel like I'm the one. I don't feel like I, I just was a one, you know, one yeah. student yes. as a student. He took the time to be kind to me. He, he took interest in me and yeah. beyond yeah. the, beyond the, the training so yeah nice. that was pretty special nice so what are your thoughts on personal development and martial arts and how do you incorporate it into into your teachings and practice i think it's essential you can't just teach someone to kick and punch without developing their character it has to be there if a child misbehaves i had we put kids just before they go up for their next belt we put them on test prep and this kid was 
horsing around and wasn't listening. And I said, preparing for a test is a privilege. If you can't behave in a way that deserves that privilege, you can't be in here. I don't yell at them because what I just said probably was like a knife through their heart, worse than if I yelled at them. Yeah. I make them responsible for deciding to behave. I like that. And because it's not just about can they do their forms, they have to they have to behave. Yes. They yeah, have definitely. to they have to be in, and treat others well. We develop you know, they have to start helping in the class. They have to get we call them, you know, SWAT hours, you know, students working and teaching. They have to l- learn to help others anyway. Okay. Yeah. But I it's essential. Yes, we're just talking with AC last night. I was we we're talking about different processes and testing and all this stuff and with our the way our school's structured they have five stripes per belt and it's like basics form sets self-defense wisdom but they have to test for each one of those stripes just because they have those five stripes doesn't mean they automatically get to grade they then are eligible to receive an invitation when they have been behaving and they find that they've kept their training up and it's sort of like doing the pretest without doing a pretest. Once yeah. they once they get their invitation, which we give to them in, in class, so you present them with yeah. it, so it's a big honour. With the especially with the kids, that has a letter they must take to school that has to be signed by their teacher to say yeah. they've been, and their parents have to sign as well to say they've been behaving. So it's a it's a pretty yeah, good tool. It's a, it's, yeah, it's essential. How do you Stay motivated and continue to progress in your journey through times of struggle and injury. I'm smart enough to to not put myself in a position to be injured. Like I told you, I'm having a little problem with my eye. So it's already on my resume. You know, I've already trained. And and if I want to keep going, I have to let my body heal, let let it feel better. I still go to the gym. I go four times a week and work out. I on top of me teaching karate every day. I, I keep my body pretty healthy. I mean, and try to eat healthy-ish most days and have an indulgence once a week and where I do whatever. And so I think that's it. You got to find balance. It's, you should not never have a cookie, but yes, you shouldn't yeah. have a cookie every meal. You know, like yeah, that. Correct. Correct. So what advice would you have to someone wanting to start out in the martial arts? Probably want to try a class first and see if it fits. If you do decide to join, commit to making your first belt, not black belt, get, get, earn your first belt, like finish, like, like as if you signed up for a college course, finish it, like three month course, get to yellow belt, finish it, you know, so that you'll know at that point whether or not you want to continue. And then if you can make a commitment to that, it's not for everybody. You know, every martial arts isn't for everybody, but you got to keep trying stuff till you find the verb that lights you up. If you had to impart some wisdom or an inspirational quote or a mantra that you have to our listeners, what would that be? What I've been saying to myself lately is I've survived 100% of the days behind me. No matter how hard life can get, you got to pick yourself up and keep moving. And there's days where that's almost near impossible. But there's always a way to get through everything, no matter how awful. And trust me, that's what I'm writing about in my book. Some of it's been not so pleasant, you know, but there's always a way to get past it. Nice. Are there any books that you've read that you recommend? And then also, I suppose you can tell us a little bit about your book as well that's coming. The last book I read was actually Tom Bleeker's From the Mountaintop. I enjoy reading stories of a person's life. I like reading 
you know, how they overcome obstacles and challenges and I really enjoy that. I understand you're writing a book too. Yeah, I started writing it basically. I just want to share my story and what happened, how I overcame it, and some words of advice, encouragement. You know, I guess it's a not necessarily do this so you'll be better, but I guess you could say it's a self-help because sometimes when you read about someone else's story, it gives you the courage to make better choices or do a little bit better. Yeah. I think reading other people's stories sort of let you know that you're not alone too. I wasn't hatched a 10-degree black belt. Yeah, correct. Basically, I was able to navigate through some crazy things to get where I am. And I think sometimes, especially for women, and it can be for anybody, but for women, you know, just to, you can be what you decide. Your, your journey is what you want it to be, not what society dictates, even your family. I come from a big Italian family, and men are taught, grow up, find yourself, become a man. And we were taught, grow up and find a man. So for people interested in training with you, where can they find you, your location? I'm on Facebook. They can always message me on Facebook. We're at Revere Karate Academy, 351 Revere Street in Revere. For the other people around the world that don't know where Revere is? We're right outside Boston. I will tell you that I do teach people all over the world by Zoom. I can yep. definitely give a lesson on Zoom if anybody's interested, for sure. Okay. Can I reach you on a website as well to email you? My email is rka344 at gmail.com. Okay. Our, our website's under construction right now. I'll put a link in the show notes for all the all the guests so they can find you and contact you. All right. Thank you very much, Mrs. Doreen DiRienzo, for joining us on the Mind Sensei podcast today and sharing your journey. It's been a pleasure. Looking forward to continuous conversations with you and catching up in person one day. Sure. But, but thanks for sharing your journey. Much appreciated. I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of it. Thank you. Bye-bye. And there you have it, dear listeners, the conclusion of our two-part conversation with remarkable senior master Doreen DiRienzo on the Mind Sensei podcast. What an incredible journey it has been. In this two-part series, we have had the privilege of exploring the life, wisdom and experiences of a true martial arts legend. Senior master DiRienzo's story is not just about martial arts mastery. It's about resilience, dedication and a pioneering spirit that continues to inspire us all. We hope you've enjoyed this journey as much as we have. If you found the inspiration in Senior Master DiRienzo's story, please consider sharing these episodes with your friends, family and fellow martial arts enthusiasts. Her legacy is one that deserves to be celebrated and shared. I want to extend my deepest gratitude to Master Doreen DiRienzo for sharing her wisdom and insights with us today. And of course, thank you, our loyal listeners, for joining us on this journey of discovery. As we conclude, this two-part series. Remember, the quest for wisdom and mastery never truly ends. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to bringing you more enlightening conversations in the future. I'm your host, Peter Taz, signing off, and until then, stay warm, stay inspired, and keep exploring the limitless possibilities of your mind. And for those of you wishing to reach out to Master Doreen DiRienzo, she can be contacted at Revere Karate Academy, 351 Revere Street, Revere, Massachusetts, United States.
studio phone number plus one seven eight one two eight nine nine five three five. Email at rkainformation at gmail.com. Also their website at www.reverekarate.com. They can also be found on Facebook at Doreen.drienzo, D-I-R-I-E-N-Z-O. Also their Facebook page at Kempo International and also their Facebook page at Revere Karate Academy. Links will also be available in our show notes. I'm your host Peter Taz and you've tuned in to the Mind Sensei podcast from Down Under. We want to take a moment to thank all our listeners for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. We appreciate your support and hope our show has been both informative and entertaining for you. If you haven't already done so, we would like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know when we release new content and you'll have access to all of our past episodes. We also encourage you to visit our website at mindsensei.au where you can find additional resources related to martial arts. On our site, you can read blog posts, videos and learn more about the guests we feature on our show. Finally, we'd like to thank our guests for sharing their knowledge and experience with us. Without their generosity, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you again for listening to the Mind Sensei podcast down under. We hope that you continue to join us on this journey through the world of martial arts.